2 Kings chapter 2, we're in this series called The Steps of Elisha. We're studying the life of Elisha, and there are so many insights to gain uh, for our Christian walk. And uh, we come to uh, the point where Elisha again has, has taken the place of Elijah. Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, the chariot of fire, and Elisha saw it. And of course, that meant that uh, he truly was the one who would take up the mantle of Elijah and continue on the ministry. But let's look with me at verses 12 through 18. And Elisha saw it, speaking of the uh, Elijah going up in a whirlwind to heaven. He saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters... They were divided here and there, and Elisha crossed over, crossed over on dry ground. So uh, we, dis- we, we st- mentioned this in our study last week, that uh, here Elisha wanted to test uh, that, that promise that Elijah made. You know, if you see me go, then God has, is going to give you a double portion of my spirit, of his spirit upon you. And so he just wanted to make sure. Now he had this, this, this cloak of, of Elijah, and now he, he, he decided to test it the same way Elijah did when he struck the waters of the Jordan and they parted. So the same thing happened here, and, and God parted it for Elisha, and he crossed over. Now look at the next uh, verses here. Verses uh, 15 through 18. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him, so they saw the parting of the waters, they saw him do this, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. You see, God wanted to put his stamp of approval on Elisha in front of other prophets, those prophets who who are going through the school of the prophets, and because they had been following Elijah all this time, and Elijah was the big hero, you know, and uh, and people were wondering, well, you know, who's this Elisha? What can he do? You know, nobody can replace. Did you ever get uh, that feeling that uh, you, you're in your workplace or somewhere, and uh, there's someone, no one can replace so and so, you know, and. And it's hard. Someone moves on, or you ha- maybe you had to take somebody's position, and all of a sudden you f- you felt I don't know if I can do this. And and the other people thought, oh, you can't you can't replace him or her. And then you realize that God was able to use you, and you, and you did. So this was a point of confirmation for Elisha, so that he didn't go around have to, uh, have to go around telling everybody, no, really. Uh, God wanted me to take Elijah's place. So this miracle took place. 
And they came, they saw this, and then the rest of verse 15, and they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Verse 16, and they said to him, behold, now there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he, Elisha, said, you shall not send. In other words, don't go looking for him. Now, isn't this interesting that the prophets, um, you know, exactly what took place, Elijah is gone, and they think uh, the spirit of the Lord must have taken him and, and put him on some mountain somewhere to do some other ministry that uh, didn't get sink in that he could, he could have been taken straight to heaven because he never heard of anything like that before. So this, uh, so they wanted to go out, uh, like a, send out a search party. And Elijah, knowing where Elijah was, basically said, guys, uh, there's no reason to go searching for him. No, I, I, you don't have, uh, you know, you, you won't go. Verse 17, but when they urged him until he was ashamed, I mean, that, they just stayed on him. And he said, okay, send. So they sent, therefore, 50 men. And they searched three days, but did not find him. And they returned to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, didn't I tell you, do not go? It's one of those, I told you so. But they were still going out looking for him. uh, But Elisha knew that he was gone. And so they, this basically brought them, the, the sons of the prophets, and uh, uh, those uh, were, who were studying to be prophets, it, it brought them to a place, again, of realizing that, yes, Elijah's gone, and this is the man. This is the man that God is going to use in his place. And so we come to verse 19. So let's... Look at 19 to 22 together. Then the men of the city, city of Jericho, said to Elisha, Behold, now the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees. It was a a nice, nice city, Jericho back then. But the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. The land is unfruitful. They came to Elisha, and these are the men that they lived in Jericho. And these, the the school of the prophets, there had to be a school in this city. And basically, they came to Elisha, and they're telling him about the problem the city has. And it's a water problem. And uh, how many remember Flint, Michigan story? Remember that? And they, uh, that it was in the news the water there was a public health crisis, and that went on from 2014 to 2019. And uh, the same kind of situation there, the drinking water for Flint, Michigan, uh, was contaminated with lead and possibly Legionella bacteria. And so they finally got it figured out and, and corrected. But once the water system goes in a city, and especially back in those days, 
Uh, if you lost your water, you lost pretty much everything. The crops would die out and the, and, and, and the land is dry. Uh, you can't feed the animals. You can't give water to the animals. Uh, and notice they said, we have a nice city, but the water's bad. And the land is unfruitful. So they came to Elisha here. And they came to him. Now notice they, uh, they didn't come right out and ask Elisha to do something. But they just presented him with the problem. But it's assumed that they came figuring maybe this new prophet can do something for us. Maybe there's, there's some way. Maybe he can pray to God and God will do something. They didn't. It's not mentioned here, but no doubt that they're presenting this to him, the problem, the need. And so now Elisha does a strange thing. Verse 21. And he went out to the spring of water and he threw salt in it and said, I'm sorry, verse 20. And he said, bring me a jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He wanted a new jar, not one that was used, but one that was never used. And he said, now put salt in it. And so that's what they did. They brought him a new jar. They put salt in it. And then verse 21, and he went out to the spring of water and he threw salt in it. And he said, thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters. Therefore, I, because I have purified these waters, there shall not be from there death or unfruitfulness any longer. And verse 22, so the waters have been purified to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke. Now this is an incredible story uh, and there's some amazing things about this and we're going to uh, basically as we look at this why would, why would Elisha call for a, a new jar not an old one why would he ask for salt just a jar of salt, and then he, was, he threw it into the water, and it purified the waters. It purified the waters. It doesn't make sense. But you see, many times we have to remember that God doesn't make sense to us sometimes in what he does, the way he does things. And maybe the, the way he, some things in your life have, have come about that you wonder, Lord, I, I don't understand uh, what you're doing, why you're doing it this way, why you're allowing this in my life. And we, we begin to question God's ways. But we have to remember, right? His ways are higher than mine. His thoughts are higher than mine. And so I have to trust him. And so basically the, the other prophets stood there and they're watching Elisha. I'm sure some of them are going, they're looking at each other, you know, rolling their eyes, saying, do you see what he's doing? What? He's, he's throwing some, some salt into the water. Little did they know what was going to happen. But God did a miracle because of that act of obedience. And God must have told 
uh, Elisha, uh, saying in his mind or heart, this is what I want you to do. We don't know exactly why, but we're going to look at some symbolism here, okay, that applies to us here tonight. Some symbolism of this jar and salt. Now, before we go in to look at the symbolism of this and what it can mean for us right now, here's something kind of notice in verse 22. We read, so the waters have been purified to this day. Now, we don't know who the writer of Second Kings is, um, but uh, this was, uh, uh, you know, uh, many years after this had taken place. But it, the writer put in here, the waters have been purified to this day. That's a key phrase, to this day. I've taken a, uh, about four trips to, uh, yeah, taken four trips to Israel in my lifetime, I would love a fifth, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, on those trips, when they, you go on a tour of Israel, they always take you to Jericho, the ancient city. Now, there's a city down there that's replaced the ancient city. But if you go into the city of Jericho today, guess what you will find? A spring of water. They have this one spring of water in the city. And it's the, some of the purest water you can find in all of Israel. There's a spring right there. And it's, they call it, there's, they built a fountain around it. And they call it Elisha's Fountain. And this is what... Uh, archaeologists, biblical archaeologists believe is that very water that Elisha took the salt and threw it in. And it, it, was, it was purified. And it's still flowing today. You can go and drink from it. The pumping stations provide Jericho with water and small waterways then are directed, redirected to fields for irrigation. What did they come and say to Elisha there they, about the land? The water's bad and the land is unfruitful. Crops are dead. Trees are dying. The fruit's dying, you know. And yet today, there is this spring of Elisha that is still flowing. What a miracle. This miracle continues today. Visitors uh, come to Jericho. They can stand over, overlooking the spring where it exits the ground near the red roof pumping house and look down into the water and it's teeming with fish. Absolutely incredible. This, it, it's still there to this day. You look it up uh, on your own if you get a chance. The spring fountain of Elisha there in Jericho. The Jericho natural mineral water company continues to produce bottled water from these natural springs here from which an estimated 4,500 liters of water bubble up from under the ground each minute and this water is sold throughout Israel and the West Bank and the Jordan and it's certified by the government you know God God was going to 
leave his stamp here to this day. And he's, it shows you when God does something, when God decides to purify something, it's forever. He purifies it forever. And this is exactly, I believe, the symbolism here that is presented to us. First of all, here's the city of Jericho. When you think of Jericho, if you were to uh, think of it uh, symbolically, okay, what, what would come to your mind? What would come to your mind if you thought of Jericho and thought of its past history? Right? It was, an, it was, a, heathen, it was a heathen city that God had to bring down and bring down the walls because they, re, they resisted the, the God of Israel as God moved his people through the land. And so Israel, I mean, Jericho is a portrait really of the world. It's a portrait of the sin around us and the world, the unbeliever out there. And we have, we're, it's like we're living as believers. We're living in, Jer- in Jericho. If this world, this unsaved world that we're living in and the prince of the power of the air is, is at work and, and wickedness is, is, uh, just continues to, to grow, uh, it, it's like we're living in Jericho. And basically, this city is a portrayal of uh, the curse, the curse of sin. God cursed Jericho, and, he, and that city was then cursed. And it wasn't until this time that, that Elisha uh, put that salt in and God purified the waters um, that this, the city fi- finally began to flourish and God took his, his hand off, his, uh, the curse off this city. But the Jericho represents the world. What does the water represent here? Well, the water would, would rep, uh, represent uh, the heart of man. The sin of man, that it's bad, it's, it's polluted, and, 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 and the, the heart is, is uh, devoid of the Spirit of God, the living water, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as you see the, the picture here, picture Jericho as the world, the waters are the waters of the sin in the heart of every person that's born. The bad water and, what's, and, and, and the work that Satan's doing in the heart of men and women today. But then we come to the jar. What could that represent? This new jar. How, what a beautiful picture. When you see this, this all laid out, it, it seems to make sense. The new jar is the new believer. The new believer would symbolize you and me. And this is, uh, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me, verse 6. Look what Paul writes to the church. 
verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And here it is, verse 7. But we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. That the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of us. Here is this new jar. This is a beautiful picture of this new jar that Elisha called for. You and I are an earthen vessel. But inside this, when we accept Christ... We have the treasure of Jesus Christ when we put our faith and trust in him. Something happens to this jar of clay. I I suddenly am set apart for the master's use and the master's service. And inside this this, this, uh, old clay is suddenly made new, like a brand new jar. I am given a new spirit. I become a new creation. Old things pass away, right? All things become what? New in Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture we have here of this jar. We are the earthen vessel, but Jesus Christ is the treasure. Treasure. And then we come to the salt. What about the salt? Why would it, he put the salt in there? Well, back then, uh, as it is today, but it was even more important back then, salt was uh, used as a preservative. They didn't have anything much else to preserve things. But salt they used, it, it, it prevented spoilage and, uh, and, and would keep food fresh. What else do we use salt for? Think, what else do we use salt for? To season the food, right? It gives flavor to our food. How many of you dump salt on your food every time you eat? Some of you do, right? Where's the salt shaker? Got to have, have that flavor. And it's amazing uh, how I see some people just, you know, they, they got to have that salt. But it brings the flavor. But what does it also do? It causes thirst. It causes thirst. And also, salt is used as a, a healing component. It was back then. You heard the phrase, uh, pouring salt into the wound? Well, that, that's not, we, we use it as a negative term. But actually, it was used even though it burns and would irritate if salt gets in the wound. It actually is used and was used as a healing agent, God put the healing agents in salt as well for, for wounds. And so it, it had this purifying agent. It has this purifying agent in it. And salt is, is used throughout Scripture. We see it. I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 2 with me. This is quite interesting. Leviticus chapter 2. And look at verse 13. Leviticus 2, 13. 
Okay, so this is, right now, uh, this is the law of, of God concerning offerings. And this particular uh, portion of scripture, <clears throat> excuse me, should, I need water with salt in it. <clears throat> but uh, no water to be found. I'm in a dry and thirsty land. Um, but verse 13, every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt. Can you believe that? It's right there. You will season this grain offering with salt so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering with all your offerings you shall offer salt. Incredible. God required his people to season their offerings for him. This is the way God viewed salt. As a purifying agent, notice it's called the salt of the covenant of your God. So it, 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 the, the salt they would put on represented the purity of God. And what is it then that uh, we as believers um, can give someone else whom is wounded in their heart because of sin. They don't know the Savior. They're, they're, they're dying of spiritual thirst. We have the water, right? But what would the salt symbolize? It would symbolize the gospel. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. And we as the jar, the new jar that Christ has created... We're carrying the salt in us. We were saved by the gospel. We were given the gospel. And we, are, we, we were given a responsibility with the gospel. And that is, as you know, to go to the ends of the earth, to, to go out and preach the gospel to every nation. And there is the salt. So that when we come to somebody and we share the gospel, we live out the gospel in front of somebody else, what we're kind of doing is, in a spiritual sense, we are the jar. God has given us to fill us with the salt, which would be the gospel and, of course, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And then as Elisha went to the bad water and dumped that salt into that water, it was at that point that purification came. When you and I allow God to take this vessel and pour us out, and we pour out the gospel, and we share it with others, we give it to them that they might take of it. If they receive it, how wonderful it is to see that person, if they trust Christ, Suddenly, they become purified. They, they are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. They are suddenly justified through the, through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how, what a beautiful thought. That, and, and what did Jesus say? Basically, he, he did call us. He said, you are the salt of the earth, right? We are to season the world with the gospel. 
And the, the, sadly, I think uh, I, over and over again, I realize that I fall short of, of the opportunities that come my way to take those opportunities and present the gospel when I have them, the moment. Have you ever been sitting in a restaurant or something or, or, or in line or somewhere with someone and you pick, you see, you know, a conversation picks up and, and you start talking and, and they start mentioning something uh, about life or, you know, suddenly there, there's an opening for us to present the gospel. And how often it is that we'll just, we're too, we're too nervous, we're too afraid of what they'll think, you know, or we don't want to offend them. And, you know, we, we basically say uh, something like, well, I'll pray for you. And that's sometimes as far as we go. I'll pray for you. Now, that's wonderful to let that person know that you're going to pray for them. But they don't know anything about the God we're praying to and about the Savior who can save them. Those are the opportunities to pour out this salt. This is, I believe this is the most beautiful picture of the believer and, and you and I as, as, as vessels of the Most High God. We are holy vessels, and we, need to, we, we want to be fit for the master's use, and it's Jesus Christ that has made us fit. But if you'll go back with me to uh, our passage, 2 Kings chapter 2, I want to close with this. Look at what, go back and look at what Elisha said as he threw the salt into the water. Verse 21, and he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it. And as he did that, what does he say? He says, I have purified the waters. Is that what your Bible has? I have purified the waters. In other words, Elisha has purified them. He had the power. He just, you know... I purified that there's not going to be any more death from this water or unfruitfulness any longer. No. What is before that statement, I purified the waters? Thus, writes you, thus says the Lord. And there it is. Thus says the Lord. That phrase right there tells us what Elisha is all about. Elisha is not about Elisha's ministry. He's not about exalting himself. He's not about trying to take the credit for anything he does in the ministry. What is he trying to do? He's trying to let these, these, uh, these new ministers, these new prophets that are coming up and are going to be in ministry, he's letting them know that this is, is from the Lord. This is what God says. God did the purifying. I, God said, I will purify these waters and there, it will not bring death any longer. And what a picture that is for you and I that we as believers might live in such a way that my, my goal and ambition is to Make sure that my life glorifies 
the Lord Jesus Christ and my Father in heaven. That Christ may be magnified in this vessel and may shine forth so that when people see my life and if there's any good in it, if there's any blessing that comes out of my life for somebody else or in ministry, if God has placed me somewhere to do ministry for him, may I never seek to get the glory or the credit, but may I be ready to say, thus says the Lord. The Lord has done this. If there's success in my life, is there success in your business, success with your family, success financially, how important it is to live like Elisha and say to those who look, up, look on your life and look at you and they see the blessings of God and they see that maybe you have been given ability and talent that others don't have in a certain area and you're using it and God is blessing you, they, they're looking to see if, if we are going to take credit for it or are we giving it to God, the credit and the glory. May we this week seek to give God the glory and in everything that we do, and may we be the vessel of salt through which we can pour out the gospel to a dying world. It's dead out there, but we can bring the living water to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for these many truths that you've presented to us in your word. Father, showing us how to live. Thank you for the example you've given us in Elisha, his faithfulness that was seen, and that he made sure that you received the Lord, that, that they, they would receive the Lord, and that he, the people he talked to and and, and witnessed in front of, Lord, he desired to be that vessel. And as he took that jar of salt and poured it out, and the waters were purified, he made sure to tell them, thus says the Lord, this is not my doing, but it's yours. Father, use us in the same way in our personal lives that we might be a vessel of honor, fit for the master's use, we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.